one of the biggest obstacles that prevents some people from becoming Christians is this question and topic of evil and suffering. One of the most common apologetic questions that you have is, if there is God, and if he's good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? And of course it's a good and a fair question for anyone to ask. Often it is asked particularly by those people who have experienced a certain struggle, a certain suffering in their own lives. Maybe there's people who have lost loved ones, who have gone through serious illness, people who themselves have been the the target or subject of some cruelty or evil from other human beings. Evil and suffering affect us all in different ways and for some more than others. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you believe in, no one likes suffering. It feels unnatural, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel justified. But what can we do about it? Well, if you are an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God, then the problem of evil evil and suffering is it's not a problem at all really it's simply just part of the evolutionary process it's the effects of natural selection life isn't fair you just have to deal with what you get but if you're a Christian then you have a problem because if God exists and as the Bible tells us he really is good then why does evil and suffering exist why doesn't God do something about it Well, my plan this evening is is not to give a big apologetic for this question. Maybe we should do an equip evening service on on this. But I want us to think, as Christians, I want us to think about how we, in difficulties and struggles and sufferings of our life, how that affects our faith in God. So a question to get you thinking this evening. How do you respond to suffering? How do you respond to difficulties and struggles in your life? There may be people in this room who in the past or who are currently struggling with with various difficulties. Maybe it's prolonged and frustrating illness. Major disappointments in life. Relationship conflict, breakdown. A lack of a job, homelessness, problems conceiving children. Concerns about the future. Persecution. Death of people you know how do you respond to suffering and this evening particularly how does it affect your relationship with God when you go through those times as I said at the beginning we've spent three weeks looking at Habakkuk and uh, we've been listening to Habakkuk's questions about God's justice we've heard God speak we've heard his word to him and to us and we've witnessed Habakkuk's response In chapter 3, we see the difference that it made to him. Did you notice that last week? We thought about the difference between Habakkuk of chapter 1, his questions, his complaints, his doubts, and then the Habakkuk of chapter 3, in his humility, his his patience, his trust, and his joy in the midst of his suffering. What brought this change? How did he move from one place to another? Now, I think it's through faith. Yes, he complains, yes, he questions God, but he even does that in faith. God's word comes to him, 
God says, live by faith. Chapter 2, verse 4, a famous verse. And so in chapter 3, we see that growth, that growth in his knowledge and his love and his trust in God. And this is just a great example, a great example of how God works in the life of a Christian. Suffering and trials are painful, they're unpleasant, but God uses them to grow his people in faith. But we're not always good at responding to suffering well. In our sinful flesh, we react to it. We do sometimes want to blame God for it. Sometimes we can miss what God is trying to do or what he's trying to say through our suffering. And then sometimes we therefore fail to grow as God wants us to trust in him. Personally, studying Habakkuk the last few months has been a struggle for me. The test for me, therefore, has been, will I react badly to it? Or will I humble myself to see what is God trying to teach me through it? Let's have a look. Have a look at what we can learn from Habakkuk. Please turn to Habakkuk. We will refer to it. It's on page 940 in your Bibles. Um, We're going to read some just in a moment. So the question, how do we respond to our trials? Or read with me Habakkuk 1, verse 2. Habakkuk says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. What is the first thing you do when something bad happens? We complain. We're good at complaining. And why not? Suffering is painful, it's frustrating, it's depressing. We don't want it, we don't ask for it. We hope that it goes away quickly. But who is it that we complain to? Often it's not to God. Often we like to complain and we question. We wonder, we have a lack of understanding. We don't understand why. We have questions. We can't figure out the reasons for our problems. Or we wonder how long it's going to go on for. But who is it that we bring our complaint to? Well, Habakkuk, we've just seen, he brings his complaint to God. What are his issues? If you haven't been here the last three weeks, let me fill you in. And let me remind you, if you have of what has been going on. Habakkuk is a prophet, and he's living in the, the last days of, of Judah. This is the time right before Babylon comes in and takes over Jerusalem, destroying the temple, and takes people away to, to Babylon. And Habakkuk has been experiencing dismay and unbelief, outrage even, at the behaviour of God's people in Judah, in Jerusalem. He's seeing people committing murder. He's People breaking God's laws, people worshipping foreign gods, people marrying non-Jewish women, and he doesn't know what's going on, he doesn't know how long it's going to be, and so he complains, that he complains to God. Even though his issues are with God, in a way, God's silence, he trusts in God, he turns to him rather than turns away. 
when our faith is tested in trials, do we go to God with our questions and our complaints? Or do we go somewhere else or to someone else? A temporary answer, a temporary fix can often be found in the world and sometimes we turn to that. It can help to relieve the pain. It can help us to forget things for a while. But it can never take away and truly answer the question of why. But God can. God knows and God cares. Even when it seems that he's nowhere to be seen. Faith means that we come to him and seek him. I know that there have been low times in my life. There have been times when I sought my own counsel. Times when I thought my strategy to solve the problems was best. But did it work? It just made things worse. Sometimes it made things a lot worse. What I should have done was to pray to seek godly wisdom. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that period of his life where he faced the deepest and darkest of suffering and of pain. Did he turn from God? He turned to him. Jesus came to die, to ultimately deal with evil and suffering, the root of evil and suffering. And, And there he is in the Garden wrestling with what he's about to face. And he cries out to God, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, Unless I drink it, may your will be done. When you read through the Psalms, King David is one who often sought God in prayer in his deepest anguish. And the Psalms are full of examples of of David's questions. And so how quick are we to take our questions and our concerns to him? But if you're like me, sometimes not quick enough. We'd rather complain about God than to complain to him to solve our own problems rather than to trust in him in prayer. Sinclair Ferguson has a a book called Deserted by God. It's a really helpful book to help those who who struggle with troubles in their life. And he says, to tell God that that he has deserted you, to know that you have been thinking with your emotions, well, these are a mark of life, not of death. A mark of hope, and not despair. But you are even speaking to God himself about your problems as though you know that he cares. And so coming to God in prayer is that step of faith. It's, it's believing that we know that he can answer, that he understands, that he can help. But do we feel comfortable complaining to God? Do not feel uneasy? Does God like it when we complain to him? It's not a very British thing to do. Well, David did, Job did, Jesus did. And none of them were rebuked for their honesty. God welcomed it and he responded to it, as we will see in a moment. And so Habakkuk has his questions. How can God tolerate the wickedness he's seen? What are your questions? Why didn't I get that job? Why can't I get over this illness? Why won't that person change? Why didn't that relationship work out? 
Why did he or she die so young? Big questions, genuine questions. And God wants you to bring them to him. And so Habakkuk does, he brings his questions to God. But notice he doesn't deny God. He doesn't change his theology either. He knows God is sovereign, he knows God is holy. But he's prepared to stand and watch. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He complains to God, then he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. (coughs) As I said earlier, preaching through Habakkuk has been a struggle for a number of reasons. Um, Trying to get four sermons out of three chapters has been one of them. But there's been really some really frustrating moments when I've been knocking my head against the wall trying to figure out how do I preach this stuff. But I don't think I prayed as much for these sermons as I have in the past and I have done for this series. And so maybe my struggle has been the test of my faith. Will I pray? Will I trust God? Him to be the one that speaks. Well, pray with faith. And then God tells Habakkuk to live by faith. We pray by faith, and then we're to live by faith. That famous verse, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. We heard a, a couple of weeks ago, I think, of Martin Luther, a great reformer whose life was transformed by reading this verse as it's quoted in, in Romans. A man who tried to live his life by works, who couldn't understand why God was calling him to do that. But yet he understood grace. He understood faith. And that salvation was through it, not by his works. But of course, a Christian is saved by grace, but he also and she also continues in grace. Day by day, we need to live by grace and faith. Faith in Jesus. It's about giving our lives to him, surrendering ourselves to him. Being willing for him to be in control. Trusting him for the past, for our present circumstances, even trusting him for future uncertainties that we don't know. Living by faith is living in obedience to the life he calls us to live. Trusting in his promises. As we've been through Habakkuk, we've heard God's promises. We've heard his word to us. And as Christians, through the whole Bible, through the Gospel of Jesus, we we have enough, we have all that we need to trust in him, to live a life of faith. Jesus, who came to provide that supreme rescue, to suffer the greatest judgment. All the things we've been thinking about in Habakkuk. But of course, through suffering, faith is challenged. In his book, You Can Change, you may have read it, Tim Chester, when talking about what is it that leads people into sin, he argues that people fall into sin because they doubt one of four characteristics about God. He says that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, 
so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. And he says, when we doubt these things, we fall into sin. Well, I think these four ideas can be applied to our response to, to suffering. Think about when life is crazy, when bad things happen, when unexpected things happen. We don't understand and we can question God's greatness. Is he really in control? When we're faced with strong opposition and people's clever questions, we can fear that is the gospel good enough? Can it hold its own? We can doubt God's gloriousness. Or when we don't get a job, or when we long to be married and we're not, we can doubt God's goodness. When we struggle with sin, when we know that we've hurt others by what we say, we can doubt God's grace. Will He forgive us? Our faith is tested. Will we trust in God? God doesn't change. His character and his actions are true. They always work in line with one another. And so if if something is amiss, then it's not God. And so we need to come to him. We need to seek understanding, to ask for his help. To live by faith, trusting, coming to know him, to believe in what he says in who he is, to allow him to help us, to allow him to show us like a a loving Heavenly Father that he is. I heard a story um, just last week of a a Christian couple who had served full-time in in Christian mission. They've died now, but many years ago when their son was just 12 years old, he was knocked down by a drunk driver and killed. And this couple had questions. They had doubts. They had unbelievable suffering and loss. But did they walk away? Did they deny God? Did they reject Him? And I'm sure they probably struggled for a long time with the big question of why. But they brought their question to God. And God said to them, live by faith. It's a challenge. Trust me. Know that I'm good. Know that I love you and I care for you. Know that even though the pain is unbearable, wait for me. Wait and see what I will do in response. And this couple did. They took that step of faith. They obeyed. They continued in Christian ministry and they bore wonderful fruits. They led many to Christ. They were able to help others who had suffered and gone through similar experiences. There's a really helpful verse in Hebrews chapter 5 that speaks of Jesus' suffering. He experienced great suffering. Listen, listen to, to these words. This is Hebrews 5 verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. So he went to God in prayer with fervent cries and tears to the one, to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience. He experienced obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, meaning after he lived his life without sin and complete obedience, 
He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus has been there. He's been here. He's experienced great suffering. But he trusted his Heavenly Father. He lived by faith. He prayed. He lived that perfect and complete life. So he was able to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And for us, well, we will never be made perfect in this life. But God wants to grow us in faith. He wants to change us and to make us more like his son through the trials that we face. So will we live by faith? When we pray, when we live by faith, we grow in faith, thirdly. What do I mean by growing in faith? I don't mean that we grow in our ability to muster up courage and strength and faith. I mean that we grow in our relationship with the one that we have faith in. When we look at Habakkuk, chapter 3 particularly, we see that a man is he's not faced different circumstances. He still has problems. Actually, it's going to get worse for him because Babylon are coming. But through his prayer, although his suffering remains, he changes. Look at chapter 3. Let's see this change. Thinking what it was in chapter 1, now chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Jump down to verse 16. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive tree, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the height. What a change. We explored that growth last week. I won't go over it again. But we see that in the midst of trials and difficulties, faith is tested. And if you've been there, you've been through trials, then you will know and have experienced that when we are in difficulties and God speaks, so we learn and we hear his word to us, so we are reminded of who he is, of what he's done for us, so we are struck anew. By his grace and his wonder. He does become more glorious. He becomes more gracious. We see his grace more, I should say. We see more of his goodness. We see more of his greatness. We see more of him and his glory. I've told you this before, but in 2005, my best friend died of leukemia. It was a Friday, and uh, believe it or not, I was leading the music on my keyboard on the Sunday morning. But how do you do that? How do you lead God's people in praise and song after a 25-year-old man has just died? 
His body taken over by septicemia, which ravaged his already cancer-ridden body. Well, by God's grace, we did. We didn't run. We didn't blame God. We didn't hate him. Yes, we had questions. Yes, we had doubts. Yes, we had complaints. But we ran to him because he was the only one who could help. And we sang and we praised like we had never done before. And by faith we clung to God, to his character, to the cross of Jesus, where he died and where he rose again. That the cross and through the resurrection that Clive is able to live forevermore, despite dying two days before. By faith, the words of the gospel which we sang seem more true and had a deeper meaning and a greater reality. Habakkuk, he faced uncertain future. He didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. The fig tree didn't burn and there was no cattle in the field. But yet he rejoiced in the Lord and his strength was in him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the true righteous person of chapter 2, verse 4. He suffered great injustice. The perfect man, arrested for claiming to be God, which of course he was. Crucified for sins he didn't commit. Dying a death that he didn't deserve, but I did. But he lived by faith. He lived obediently, trusting in his Father's will. And as Hebrews 12 tells us, he went joyfully to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I cannot help myself. I pray because I am helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. We live in a world full of evil and suffering. And the world doesn't believe in God sometimes because of that evil and suffering. But yet, God is the only one who has done something about it. He's the only one who can do something about it. Jesus knows, he understands, he's been there, he's suffered. And he uses that suffering today to grow his people in faith. Well, that's it written by James, opens with some challenging verses. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Let me finish by telling you a testimony of a married couple of friends I know who experienced a miscarriage at about 12 weeks. And they were heartbroken. And asked the question, why? Didn't understand. Their life plans were, were going well. They'd been married. They were 
They had full-time jobs, and then this tragedy happens. I remember the husband telling me that as they sought God in prayer, as they brought their complaints, as they brought their questions, God showed them his loving character. God showed them his care. He reminded them of his grace. And their perspective changed. They realized their selfishness. They grew to love God more, to live a life for his glory and not their own glory. And they grew in faith. I know for me, I've grown the most as a Christian through my biggest trials of life. And in, in a way, that is a great apologetic to this question of evil and suffering. But what about you? How do you respond to suffering? How do, does it affect your relationship with God? Do you deny him? Do you turn from him? Are you not interested? Do you find peace and happiness and security in the world? But it will never last. It will never satisfy certainly will not help when the final judgment comes. But Habakkuk tells us to go to God, to come to Jesus Christ in faith, to trust in him with all of your life and to see God grow you in love and in knowledge and to see the glory of all that he is. Let's pause and just quietly by ourselves pray and reflect on things that God has been saying this evening. Let's take a few moments just to be quiet. <coughs>